Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hi, this is Nikki of the Kitchen Sisters. We want to tell you about a new weekly from PRX called Monumental. Did you know there are 22 monuments depicting mermaids, but only two depicting U.S. Congresswomen? The landscape of public memory is changing, but is the day-to-day changing with it? Monumental will uncover the stories that our monuments are telling about what and who is important, as well as the stories that have been left out. Join host Ashley C. Ford and our team of 12 journalists across the country as they confront the reality of what we publicly commemorate, exploring big questions about the past, present, and future of monuments. Listen on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Today, the Kitchen Sisters present our new series, The Keepers, stories of activist archivists, rogue librarians, curators, collectors, and historians, keepers of the culture and the cultures and collections they keep. Anytime the Kitchen Sisters launch a series, we always reach out to listeners, to everyone we meet on the street, and we say, for example, with the keepers, what keepers do we need to chronicle? Who are the guardians of history, large and small, the protectors of the free flow of information and ideas? What collections move and astound you? We open up a keepers hotline, we open up our website, and we glean. When we were talking to Morning Edition about the Keepers series, we ran into Ari Shapiro, host of All Things Considered, and told him about the Keepers series. And he said, wait a minute, you've got to meet Rodney Carmichael, hip-hop staff writer at NPR Music. We asked Rodney what Keepers he thought we needed to chronicle, and we took Rodney's advice. Today's story, the first in the series, Archiving the Underground, the Hip-Hop Archive and Research Institute at Harvard. Every art form has their standards that they've placed in the canon. Mathematics, science, everybody has their greats, and somebody placed them there. People in the visual art world say, hey, okay, this is what's going in the Louvre. This is it. And I think hip-hop needs the same thing. This is the archive. Archiving the underground is what we do. The Hip Hop Archive began at UCLA, late 90s. I taught urban speech communities there. Students said, we want to do work on hip hop. I said, best performance, but it's not a speech community. They said, we'll be back. They came back with the most amazing projects. They showed the elements of hip hop, rapping, emceeing, poetry or rhyming, b-boy, b-girl dance, and graffiti art. 
and what it meant to their lives. I'm Marcelina Morgan, founding director of the Hip Hop Archive and professor of African and African American Studies at Harvard University. My students, when they were graduating, would say, I collected this. This is from hip-hop. Boombox. You have to keep it. Turntable. I'm a linguistic anthropologist. Anthropologists love material culture. Adidas. I couldn't throw it away. Spray paint they use with graffiti. So I started having all this stuff. Then all these students were like, well, I think it should be called an archive, because an archive is important. Pieces of hip-hop history. I remember when Marcy shared her idea with me, and I thought, oh my God, I'm no fan of hip-hop. But you didn't have to be Albert Einstein to realize that this was a brilliant idea, the world's first archive of the hip-hop and rap movement. Imagine if someone had thought of this when jazz was at its zenith. Why don't we have the jazz archive at Harvard? Of course it would have been turned down, but in retrospect they would have been a genius. I'm Henry Louis Gates Jr., professor at Harvard, director of the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research. Why hip-hop at Harvard? Harvard is a high level of genius, so is hip-hop to me. My name is Patrick Douthat. My stage name is Ninth Wonder. I'm a DJ, music producer, college professor, and Nasir Jones, hip-hop fellow at Harvard. This global phenomenon needs to be studied. My name is Brianna Atkins, media and publications coordinator for the Hip-Hop Archive. Besides collecting memorabilia and caring for it, we also have a Classic Crates project, which works on archiving 200 classic hip-hop albums curated by Ninth Wonder. We collect all sorts of material related to the different albums, track listing, sample listing, album credits. We call it Classic Crates because um, when you search for records, we call it digging. Digging through the crates, mail crates, milk crates for old records. In order to be well-versed in the culture, you have to be an encyclopedia because what we're doing now is creating a family tree. We'll have the album in question, Illmatic. All the participants. Then on top of that, you have all the samples and the records that it came from. So it'll be the Stanley Clark record, the Michael Jackson Thriller album, Joe Chambers' Mind Rain, Ruben Wilson, I'm in Love. We really have like this multi-pronged analytical approach of what made these things art. The lyrics, the production credits, the biography of the artist to see what cultural and intellectual social things were going on. Hip-hop music is a form of keeping records and a form of archiving culture. This is how we do it. My name is Robert Rush from the South Bronx, intern here at the Hip Hop Archive. My earliest hip hop memory would be in my mom's house in the crib. She used to play Montel Jordan's This Is How You Do It, Notorious B.I.G. Those were the sounds that soothed me. They were lullabies that spoke to the experience that I was having. I remember when Biggie said the line, Christmas missed us, me and my mom. We used to go through struggles. We didn't necessarily have all the material resources. The archive, I would label it as a living, breathing, evolving analysis of hip-hop. My name is Justin Porter. I'm a senior at Harvard College, and we're at Harvard's Hip Hop Archive, where I'm doing research on the Fugees, the Spore album. We are in the heart of Harvard Square, the local music library, cross campus walk away from the Hip Hop Archive. We have formed a partnership with them to house the Classic Crates collection. 
I'm Harold Shaw, Program Director of the Hip Hop Archive and Research Institute. My name is Josh Cantor. I'm the Assistant Keeper of the Isham Library, which handles special collections for the Loeb Music Library. On display here is a 12-inch vinyl, 33 and a third RPM pressing of The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, one of the first four albums selected for classic crates. It's in the display case next to a handwritten copy of Mozart's opera Figaro, next to Bertolt Brecht, 1930s labor songs. My name is Michael Davis, Director of Creative Branding and Development. I designed the archival casings for the first inductees into the Classic Crates program. What we brought to the whole archiving thing was just a little hip-hop, just a touch. A little bit of gold leaf, black background, and it really pops. You don't want to be over the top. You want to respect the archive. Oh, yeah. Side B. Kendrick Lamar, Timber Butterfly. Here we go. Classic Crate, Nazi-O-Matic, a tribe called Quest the Low End Theory, Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill, and Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. That was the four that I chose to go with first. To Pimp a Butterfly, the first single off that album was the song I, I Love Myself, which to say I love myself sounds simple, but it's really needed at this time. This incredible piece of art is coming from Compton, California. The history of Compton it was a bustling metropolis of an artsy district. This is what Compton was before the riots. For that to come out of Compton, it speaks to what Compton really is. Retrace my steps on what they never taught me. Did my homework fast before government caught me. So I'ma dedicate this one verse to Oprah on how the infamous sensitive N-word control us. So many artists gave her an explanation to hold us. Well, this is my explanation straight from Ethiopia. N-E-G-U-S. Definition, royalty. King royalty. Wait, listen. N-E-G-U-S. Description, black emperor, king ruler. Now let me finish. The history books overlook the word and hide it. America tried to make it to a house divided. The homies don't recognize we've been using it wrong. So I'ma break it down and put my game in a song. N-E-G-U-S. Say it with me. Or say no more. Black stars can come and get me. Take it from Oprah Winfrey. Tell her she right on time. Kendrick Lamar, by far, realest niggas alive. Hip-hop is like the canary in the coal mine. When hip-hop starts talking about it, something is going on in society that we need to pay attention to. The average black male is probably not going to, in his lifetime, hear his voice amplified, tell anyone what to do, or get to talk about his strengths or powers. But in hip-hop, you do all of that in a way that's romantic, captivating. And this has great power. My name is Harry Allen, a Nasir Jones hip-hop fellow at Harvard University. Nasir Jones, better known as Nas, is a preeminent artist in hip-hop culture and in the history of the culture. One of our benefactors endowed a fellowship in Nas's name for scholars and artists to come here to Harvard and do research on the culture. Nas, Illmatic, that album was a walking CNN. The best combination of rhyme structure and the backdrop of it was jazz. Illmatic is the kind of blue of our culture. It is our Miles Davis kind of blue. Everything comes back around. Nas is Miles Davis. Tribe is Earth, Wind & Fire. Rakim is Bob Dylan. 
Lauren Hill is Nina Simone. Jay-Z is Frank Sinatra. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And hip-hop knowledge is the equalizer in the world. If I have access to knowledge, if I know how to interpret ideas, I have power and strength and can represent myself, my family, my community. I've seen 40-something-year-old men be brought to tears when they see the collections that we have. They say, finally, somebody's taking note of what we did. My name is Lauren Bromage. I'm a senior in the college. This is my third year working at the Hip Hop Archive. I've seen 12-year-old kids as they look around in this archival space. There's a moment of shock, but also of pride that, wow, this is something I've always been a part of. It's behind these glass cases. Adults talking about it really seriously. Mr. Nazir Jones, how do you feel that the creation of this fellowship will inspire other audiences to promote this culture? What do you think, Nuts? It's going to make them want to appreciate the culture. It's starting to open a lane in America. They're starting to want to see other American stories. I think of the keepers as the ones who are on the ground right now. We're collecting the era, the zeitgeist, the spirit, and we're bottling it up for generations that we'll never see. I'm trying to keep the torch lit that was passed from Tribe and Pete Rock and Lauren and Queen Latifah that was passed to them from James Brown and Marvin Gaye and Steely Dan. I see a lot of young people come through here. Motown. They see all this history, and it just makes them dig more and more and more. Muddy waters. And then they become the keepers. I mean, this could be the seed. Back in the days when I was a teenager, before I had status and before I had a pager, you could find the abstract, listening to hip-hop. My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop. I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles? Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael. It's all expected. Things are for the looking. If you got the money, quest is for the booking. Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode. Still got room on the truckload of black gold. Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man, black woman picture. Why do I say that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man. Doing what we feel for the music is the proof and planet on the ground. We'll be right back. The Kitchen Sisters Present is sponsored by Care Of, a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Care Of has an online quiz about your diet and health goals. It only takes five minutes, and it's fun and eye-opening to find out what vitamins and supplements are recommended. Care Of provides research that supports each of their recommendations backed by a scientific advisory board. One of my favorite things is that your vitamins get delivered in convenient little daily packs, and you can easily modify your monthly subscription. Another favorite thing, a portion of every sale goes toward the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with prenatal vitamins. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code KITCHENSISTERS. That's TakeCareOf.com, promo code KITCHENSISTERS. At the count of three, I want everybody in the place to be to make some noise if you're down with me. One, two, three. Hit me with the horn, 20. Keep making noise. Keep making noise. Yeah. That's cool, Herc. Let me clear my throat. When we began working on this story, Archiving the Underground, the hip-hop archive at Harvard, we picked up Jeff Chang's remarkable book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip-Hop Generation. 
in the middle of it all, we met Jeff over at City Arts and Lectures in San Francisco and told him we were working on this story about the hip-hop archive at Harvard. And Jeff said, gotta know about the hip-hop archive at Cornell. They started in 2007. Here's Ben Ortiz, assistant curator of the Cornell Hip Hop Collection in Ithaca, New York. The Cornell Hip Hop Collection is a research archive in the division of rare and manuscript collections. Other types of materials that we have here are cuneiform tablets from ancient Sumeria, papyrus scrolls from ancient Egypt. We have a copy of Shakespeare's first folio. Cornell University was founded in 1865. At the time of the Civil War, our first university president, A.D. White, started collecting ephemera from the abolitionist movement and the Civil War. Our most famous thing is one of five surviving copies of the Gettysburg Address in Abraham Lincoln's handwriting. That was actually the first collection here at Cornell. Alongside that, following that tradition, we have this hip-hop collection, which came to us in the year 2007 following the production of a book called Born in the Bronx, a visual record of the earliest days of hip-hop. The author of Born in the Bronx, Johann Kugelberg, gave Cornell a gift of about 7,000 artifacts, vinyl records, photographs, party and event flyers, which became the core of the collection at Cornell. Johann, he was born in Switzerland, is an avid keeper and began researching and collecting hip-hop culture early on in 1999. My name is Johann Kugelberg. I helped put this book together, Born in the Bronx, a visual record of the early days of hip-hop. I'm a recovering record executive. I worked on a major blues box set years and years ago and was absolutely shocked to find how much of the history of country blues and delta blues ended up in dumpsters in the 40s and 50s. How the entire archives of extremely famous and prominent record labels would just be thrown out. How master tapes of these precious you know, slices of African-American everyday life would also just be tossed out. Something like 45 hours of uh, John Coltrane live recordings went down the tubes because somebody at Atlantic Records had forgotten to pay the rent for a storage facility in New Jersey. So I'm looking at hip-hop through these classes. So I asked my wife, you know, how do you feel about if I devote the next 10 years to uh, basements in the South Bronx and Co-op City and Mount Vernon looking for old gig flyers and old snapshots and old records and cassette tapes, and then I'll cart them all off to a great university in a few years, hopefully. Sure, go ahead, she said. <laughs> and my journey took me to... Catherine Reagan here at Cornell, who was the first person I met who really, truly, from a library perspective, got the importance of this like this. And literally in our first meeting, we were talking about things like this. We were talking about symposium, how to archive these materials properly, online presence, 
The Cornell Hip Hop Collection is a living, breathing, ever-growing archive dedicated to exploring the culture of hip hop through classes and tours, online discussions, conferences, panels. In 2008, they brought together an historic group of artists and DJs. There was a panel discussion moderated by Jeff Chang with Johan Kugelberg. Here are some of the highlights. Mr. Grandmaster Kaz, a.k.a. Casanova Fly, who began his DJ career in 1974 and along with Tony Tone and Charlie Chase, was one of the original members of the Cold Crush Brothers, one of the greatest rappers of all time, Grandmaster Kaz. I was inspired by the father of hip-hop DJ Cool Herc. I used to live on the west side of the Bronx. I was 13 years old when that first hip-hop jam was given by him at 1520 Cedric Avenue. The whole west side of the Bronx was buzzing with anticipation and excitement hearing about this party, this epic party that was given on, on, on uh, the night of August 11th in 1973. I was a b-boy at the time, and I used to dance with a group of guys known as the Casanova Crew. And everybody in the group name was Casanova something. And in order to be in the group, you had to pick a Casanova name. So my name was Casanova Fly. My, my first real introduction, I think, into hip-hop is when my friend, Troy, who used to call himself J.J. Hollywood, used to bring his turntable over to my house. And then he had one turntable, and I had one turntable. And we used to try to do what Cool Herc used to do at the parties. Uh, we didn't know what a mixer was at the time, so he would turn his down slowly, and I would turn mine up slowly. And that's how we would DJ. You know, I was at one of those summers that you reach, you know, during puberty when you grow up like seven inches over the summer. So I kind of retired very quickly from that B-boy thing, and... and um. Once I saw Cool Herc DJ indoors in the inside venue, that, that was it for me. I've been on a roller coaster ever since. Next person I get you to introduce is the first female MC soloist in hip-hop. She started off with Cool Herc. She did a couple records. She did a Fly Guy, another awesome Anson record. She also did a, a record with her brother, Master Don, and the committee, Funk Box Party. Please give it up for Pebbly Pooh. Pebbly, would you like to share some memories of Herc and the Herculords in the early days? Because you were the first female MC with that crew, right? Yes. Hey, everyone. Well, um, I was a B-girl before I was an MC. I didn't want to be no MC. That was a boy thing. Boy thing was breakdancing too, but I was a challenger, so I wanted to go after the guys because I knew I could dance. So this guy, we used to be around each other all the time. He used to love when I danced. He was like, yo, you need to rap. And he wrote me eight bars, eight lines. And I memorized them. I hated it. But him and Teela Rock used to bang on the cars, and I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So I used to go to all, all of the talent shows. You know, I would get on the mic when I go to Herc's jams when he'd be at the park. And one day I went to this roller skating rink. I looked at this man and I was like, this man has came over here. Now I know I went to the jam and I got on his mic, but why is he over here at the skating rink looking at me? So I kept looking at him. I kept skating around the rink. And then I seen him again. I was like, oh my God. And he said, can I speak to you for a minute? And I was like, oh my God. I was young. I was like, I, my mother said, I, I can't talk to... <laughs> <laughs> So he said, uh, 
you know, I heard you on the mic every time that you came to one of my jams, and um, I want to know if you would like to be a Herculoid. I was like, oh, who? <laughs> he said, I want you to MC on the mic. I was like, you do? I was a little nervous because I only had eight lines. And I was like, I'm going to ask Bombay to help me write some more. Next thing you know, I'm on the mic, and they liking what I'm doing. I was like, oh, fuck it, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to still keep dancing, but uh, I kind of like this. So it was really good. I didn't have a problem when I started. I really didn't. Can I say something to my ladies? Can all my ladies stand up? Y'all just stand up. This is what I like to do. Ladies. <laughs> let me tell y'all something. We are beautiful. Don't let nobody ever try to tell you anything different. You all don't have to take off your clothes to be nobody else. Be yourself. Okay? That's my girl right there. That's Shantae. That's my heart. We stick together. Somebody who started off responding to a record became huge off of that. The record that was a, a revenge record, an answer record to end all arguments and to start all on record beefs. <laughs> she went out to become the queen of the Juice Crew. Now she has PhD, Dr. Roxanne Shantae. My first experience with hip-hop, I was about 11 years old, and I was told that I had what was called the Nipsey Russell Syndrome. And that's when you're able to make up rhymes about anything at any time, no matter what's going on. And it's fun when you're in the house because, you know, your mom is getting a kick out of it. Do it again, baby. Do it again. Do it again. Show my friends what you can do. Do it again. You know, and um, what happened was... Some guys from my projects, I grew up in the largest housing project in the world, which is Queensbridge, public housing, 30,000 tenants on paper. So that's not including those who are not on paper. So um, growing up in Queensbridge, public housing, there was always someone somewhere on some block ready to do something with you. Like, okay, you want to rhyme? This is what we're going to do. So some guys from the neighborhood approached me and said, listen, we heard that you can just rhyme just about anything, anywhere. And I said, yeah, but right now I got to do the laundry. <laughs> so unless you want to rhyme about the laundry, and you know how my mother is, so they were like, no, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Because what we're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to go battle these guys. Then we're going to put money up. I hear money, so I tell my mother, ma, they're going to pay me to go rhyme. Oh, yeah, well, then you know what? Hold off on that laundry and go ahead and get that money. <laughs> so... <laughs> So my first experience was actually being a battle MC from the door. I never got a chance to pick up the microphone and just be happy holding the microphone. My rhymes have always, I've always been in a, a very aggressive moment. So I came in as a battle MC. And I can recall my first time going to another housing project. The guys were rhyming and they were like, such and such and such and take your little sister home. And then I remember them saying like, that's your cue. Now you're supposed to get ahead. And I said, um, well, am I supposed to be nice? And they was like, no, never be nice. Don't worry about it. Need I say that we had to run out of the park, and they were literally <laughs> dragging me. 
And they were literally dragging me like, we didn't tell you to say all of that. You're not supposed to talk about people's mothers. You ain't supposed to say that about their clothes. So it was like a scolding all the way home, counting the money. You know, and I remember coming in the house and telling my mom, like, ma, guess what? They wanted to fight us. They wanted to do this. She was like, are you okay? I said, yeah. She said, did you get the money? I said, yeah. And that was my first experience with hip hop. (laughs) We can't resist. Here's one more Pebbly Poo. One, two. One? All right. You got it? I had one experience. They had this flyer going around. It was just for the females. It was female battle. It was Rayvon and Johnny Wah. I was like, I'm going to enter this competition because I, I, I just want to see what this is all about. It was like 40 girls. And they made me like number 38. <laughs> So I was like, oh my God. So I had to sit there. I wanted to get there from the beginning. We was at this club called Mr. Souls. Now I lived in the Bronx. I didn't want to come to Harlem. So I was like, I'm going to come because I know I'm good. I get to the competition. I'm listening to all the females. I'm like, whack, I got this. And they, and they paying. When you like a female and you know you got something going for you, you be like, I got this. So I'm sitting there, I'm listening. I'm like, oh, this is not working. I am going to get this. So 37 come up. I said, I'm next, right? They was like, no, we're making you 40. I was like, 40? I said, by that time, everybody going to be gone. So I was like, this is a setup. They going to keep the money for themselves. I'm getting ready to leave. So I'm listening. I didn't listen to all these females. Here come this female 39. I'm like, she goes, one, two, one, two. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Oh my God, because I didn't hear any oomph in any female. It was like, hello. I was like, I got that. Then it was like, I was like, I got that. All down the line. Number 39, one, two, one, two. I was like, oh my God. Let me see what she kicking. She was like, will my DJ, Mr. Freeze, come to the front? She had a hand on her hip. She was walking. She was walking back and forth. I was like, this is my competition. I can see it right now. She got up there. She did her thing. Her name was Missy D. I was like, all right. I know what I got to do. I had my DJ with me. His name was DJ Andre. I said, I need you to play my national anthem record. He was like, are you ready? You sure you can do this? I said, yes, I think I can so everybody, they was like, coming to the stage, we got MC Pebbly Poo. So for those who heard me, they was like, yay, you know, so I was like, <laughs> uh-oh. Because <laughs> it didn't sound like, <sighs> it was like, yay. I was like, all right, one, two, one, two. I was just calm, one, two, one, two. I was like, I don't know what y'all came here to do, but this is what I want y'all to do. Clap your hands, everybody. Come on, and everybody, clap, clap with your hands. Everybody over there. Everybody started clapping. And see, when you start seeing people from the stage doing that, moving their head, I was like, I got this, I got this. <laughs> and it was got to be real. It was like, dun 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 I grabbed the mic. I was like, uh, let's go. I won.
heavily pooed and I love to get down. Five foot two, always cutting a smile. You can never ever say that I'm not the right guy. The Keepers, story number one, Archiving the Underground, was produced by the Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell and mixed by Jim McKee. Special thanks to the director of the Hip Hop Archive and Research Institute at Harvard, Dr. Marcelina Morgan. Thanks to Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr., the Alphonse Fletcher University professor and director of the Hutchins Center for African and African American Research. We'd like to thank Ninth Wonder, Patrick Douthie, Harold Sean, Harry Allen, Professor Tommy Shelby, Michael Davis, Riona Atkins, Justin Porter, Robert Rush, and at the Loeb Music Library, Josh Cantor and Sarah Adams. Thanks also to Rodney Carmichael, hip-hop staff writer at NPR Music, to Pedro Cohen, Jeff Chang, and Nas. At the Cornell Hip-Hop Collection, we thank assistant curator Ben Ortiz. From Cornell University's Hip Hop Archive Collection Online, we sampled This Is History Cornell, a 2008 special event and conference featuring Johan Kugelberg, Jeff Chang, Grandmaster Kaz, Pebbly Poo, Roxanne Shanti, and more. You can hear the complete interviews at the Cornell Hip Hop Collection's website, rmc.library.cornell.edu slash hip hop. You can find links to the Hip Hop Archive at Harvard and the Hip Hop Collection at Cornell at kitchensisters.org. Funding for this story was provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and listener contributions to the Kitchen Sisters Productions. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. If you know of a keeper we should honor or a collection we should document, call us on our Keepers hotline, 415-496-9049, and tell us your story. Thanks for listening. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radiotopia.